Welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 217 for Monday, October 31st, 2022. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorifs, and joining me as always is a pumpkin carved with the face of Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. <laughs> I guess I should change my name to Jack, maybe? I guess. <laughs> Jack O'Duggan. Uh, Jack O'Duggan. <laughs> you said well, e even more Irish somehow. Well, yeah, Duggan is from O'Dugan, which I, I only learned in recent years. So, I mean, that, that tracks, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to hear a little bit more uh, about uh, the completely non-Halloween things that we were discussing in the render distance, then you can check out the extended version of the podcast by becoming a member at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. We were doing sci-fi chat this week. It was uh, the peripheral and Andor, uh, the Star Wars series on Disney Plus that Johnny is catching up on. So a lot of fun conversation happening over there. Uh, you also get access to things like the October 2022 monthly Minecraft Hangout, which is now available to Spawnchunk patrons only in the RSS feed on the Patreon page. Uh, you can also listen directly on Patreon if you prefer. Uh, and that was an, an extended version of the Hangout. We hung around after talking about builds with the community and talked about the community in the live chat about their thoughts on Minecraft Live, the announcements for 1.20 and the new features that we've been able to play around with in snapshots over the last week or two. And that was a really fun conversation. Yeah, yeah, I had a blast talking to people about that stuff. We had a few more more structured questions for our audience instead of it just becoming like a free-for-all about what you like, what you don't like. But yeah, I think it's it's nice to talk to people about this, especially when we don't know so much about the theme of the update and people aren't making assumptions. We're just talking about the stuff that we've seen so far. And I think that's it's, it's a really interesting time in Minecraft's development in general to, to talk about this kind of stuff. But for now, let's talk about what we've actually been doing this week. Uh, let's start with you, Joel. I saw on Twitter that you're uh, more or less done. You've, you've uh, rapped on the Tiger Hill mansion now. I'd like to move on. Yeah, it's to a point now where I can walk away from it and 360 degrees outside of it, as well as all rooms inside of it have been touched and not left like without a thought. Uh, this weekend, I spent some time working on the large retaining wall that kind of makes up the outside courtyard and uh, supports the build while it kind of hangs over the river that kind of twists through that, that area of town and uh, added some different things. I had originally had like cobblestone and other things in there and I switched some of the deeper recessed parts of the build to deep slate, which is something I did on the balcony on, uh, this is the north face, so the balcony is on the south face. And basically what I was doing was going around and looking at different things that I did on the build that I liked, taking that kind of art direction and then just applying it 360. And it's like, okay, well, I liked what I did on the balcony. I should apply that to all other kinds of walls around this build to kind of make it feel a little bit more cohesive. And in doing so, I was also looking at some of the rows and berry bush gardens and like putting an extra one of those in the courtyard. I was taking a walk through the front courtyard and realizing there's a lot of gray as, you know, there's two or three different towers as you walk through the front courtyard and they were kind of bleeding together along with also the mountain in the background, which is gray. And so I added a custom tree kind of poking out between two towers and it really helps break up that view as you're walking into the main courtyard, which is, which is nice. Uh, and more green around helps because in the taiga biome, it's kind of like that bluish green, you know, and mm -hmm. I've been using a lot of uh, mangrove leaves, which uh, I think kind of are custom tree easy mode. I'm not sure about you, but I really feel like uh, there's a lot of forgiveness with the mangrove leaves to make some interesting shapes and custom trees because of the 
downward nature of the of the texture like it has like a vertical uh direction on it they look like hanging leaves as opposed to just like a random leaf block yeah i find they're good for like simulating willow leaves or something like that things that didn't necessarily feel as good looking with the leaf types we had before they're also a lot more dense in terms of their overall texture there's less transparency than birch leaves or spruce leaves for example and the spruce leaf uh pattern tends to look a little bit more random with its use of transparency and opacity whereas the mangrove leaves look very deliberately patterned so i think they come across a really usable leaf block yeah i I would agree with that i think the density is where we get the forgiveness in terms of like how easy it is to make a custom tree because like it it took me 15 minutes nothing takes me 15 minutes Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it really really went up quite quickly now granted it's a small space and i didn't have a lot of place to work with and i didn't have to do it in the round either because it's kind of pushed up against the wall so i really only had to do like three sides of it right Um, yeah but uh yeah it worked out pretty well uh and then i moved around to uh the last very bland feature which was the east facing wall which i mentioned i think last week is an important wall even though you can't see much of it when you're in front of the building uh when you are in the main um town square on the west side of town if you're up in the keep at all then you can absolutely see the east face of of the mansion and i wanted to add some detail there so i thought well i mean it's a big gable like i can add some like the typical kind of like dental work or different like kind of patterns to break up the edge of the gable but i i went fishing around inside and sure enough um as luck would have it one of the landings of my interior stairwell just was a perfect spot to have a door go in the other direction and walk out onto a balcony mm-hmm. and it was a really good example of like having an idea for putting something here and spitballing and and doing it live on stream where it started off as a wood balcony like it started off as a as a dark oak balcony and it's like no that's too much dark oak it blends in with the roof i'm not seeing the shape of it it's too big it's too wide narrowing it down making it spruce because i used spruce supports inside and then as i was working the windows in the um, main floor the main hall i realized that i wanted to shift them around to make the main hall more um, symmetrical and in doing so, I was looking at these three pillars that were going between the windows and I thought, you know, if I added like a thickness to this, I could do some buttresses outside. And quickly, the balcony that was just kind of attached to the the mid floor of the of the east face became a stone balcony. And then the entire wall became the support of the stone balcony because a stone balcony seems a lot heavier than a wood balcony, right? Mm hmm. Uh, and then I was also flying around looking at the different buttresses that I had on the roof and different supports I had for uh, the self-facing dormers and stuff. And again, used uh, andesite and uh, blast furnaces in in the design, uh, along with some walls and some slabs and stairs and stuff. And it came together quite nicely, but it was just a really fun experience of going through that design process live on stream where like it starts off in one direction. And while the balcony is still there, the fact that the balcony was big enough to warrant supports really informed how I added the detail to the bottom. And the detail on the bottom was a really good addition because now from far away, not only is it not a flat wall, it's really interesting to look at because it has the depth because Minecraft will give you those deep shadows, even though you can't really tell like, you know, blast furnace from stone block, like from a hundred blocks away, you can absolutely still see the three buttresses that are supporting the balcony. 
And the only thing I think is a little bit drab about it right now is that I've used spruce trapdoors across the whole thing to make like a railing um, because it wasn't big enough to add anything else. Uh, so that that's the only thing that looks a little bit dull, but I've used them all over the place in this build. So it's not, you know, the end of the world, but I'm, I'm quite happy with the way that it turned out. It's nice to move on. I, there are some things inside that I could do. The main hall table has nothing on it. Whereas the kitchen table downstairs has got like, you know, bread and pumpkins and like mini blocks and things. And I just, I just didn't feel like spending another hour on stream messing with the armor stand data pack. Sure. I, like, yeah. I'll probably do it on my own. I just, it's close enough to the point where I feel like. You know, I can leave it the way it is. I can add a couple of other things later on if I want to. I know probably when 120 comes out and or at the very end of this build, there's going to be a stream where I am just walking around, popping my nose into every building and making sure I didn't miss anything, you know? And yeah. I feel like when I do that, I'll be able to take a little bit of time and do some little things in the mansion and stuff like that. So it'll be one of the things that I revisit as I do a final pass. But I mean, it's been 16 streams. I really wanted to move on. So I'm happy to. It's it's going to be a nice switch. Uh, I'm going to be building something smaller <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> next time. Uh, but that's it. That's where I am. It's, it's It was a good feeling to, to finish it off. And it, it's made for some nice screenshots. And um, because it's so big when parts of it were unfinished, even if you're taking a nice screenshot of something you just did, ultimately in the background, there's like something else that's not done <laughs> so mm -hmm. it always looks a little bit funny but uh, but yeah happy to check this box off i would love to see i don't know if you've necessarily thought about it this way because you didn't know how large the structure was going to be when you started it but if you can throw in a before screenshot somewhere in the show notes to do a before and after of this i think it'd be really interesting to see the difference between the area undeveloped and the area developed as it is because i think it, you've done a great job overall i think the the whole thing looks very so. very like naturally placed in there you've still got all of the trees surrounding it and obviously you've done some custom work to make sure it's a little thicker a little more private feeling the one thing i'm taking away from this is i need to use blast furnaces in my build palette on empires because it's an interesting block in the sense that you can use the top half of the furnace like where it's got a darker gray band of material almost as though a shadow is being cast on it or it can be a transition upwards from a lighter block on the bottom to a darker set of blocks on the top or alternatively if you think about it the opposite way like darker blocks coming down from the top of a build and then gray blocks underneath i i kind of like that transition and i'm looking at a screenshot of my museum build on empires and thinking yeah, I could probably cap off some of the basalt pillars that I've used, the polished basalt blocks, with a blast furnace at the end and make them, make them look a lot more intentional than just erosion on the face of the building. So I might have to give that a try. Blast furnace is pretty expensive, though, as I'm sure you've probably realized after having built with them a few times. Yeah, with an iron farm and with the, the amount of resources you have in a five-year-old server, like it's, sure, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's more about the pain in the butt is that you can't just grab a stack of cobblestone and make furnaces, you know, like because I've, yeah. I've yeah. used furnaces in a whole bunch of different things because they make such a great pillar support at the base of a foundation yeah uh just for something different and they're easy to make if you run out but then blast furnaces is like a three-step process you know like yeah. there's, there's, there's no really easy crafting recipe you have to make sure you got enough ingots you have to make sure you have furnaces already and then you have to make sure you've got smooth stone and that's usually the thing where i don't have a, a ton of yeah and yeah absolutely run through uh, smooth stone and then had to wait for it to smelt before I could finish. I remember because I used blast furnaces as decoration in the wither skeleton farm for two reasons. They don't get moved by slime blocks, right? 
but they also look cool. I could have used anything. I could have used regular furnaces. I could have used any other container, but the blast furnace was the one that looked the coolest because it's got that dark kind of metal look. So with a, you know, a nether brick and, and black kind of wither skeleton farm, they looked cool. Uh, but like, as you can imagine, I was making like hundreds of, <laughs> of blast furnaces for that build. Yeah. Yeah, that and the anvils across the line of the roof. It's like, oh, this is an expensive build when it comes to iron. Like, more more so than you'd appreciate by looking at it from the outside. It's not like you've built the thing out of iron blocks. But even then, the uh, the money is on show. <laughs> it looks good. Um, so, yeah, as far as stuff going on Empires right now, aside from reconsidering whether blast furnaces are going to be worth using or not, my worlds have collided this week. Um, in that the Empire's SMP is currently doing a crossover event with the Hermitcraft server, which has been planned since before Empire's Season 2 began. We've actually had this in mind since we started our current season. Um, so we've been, you know, doing backstage talks with the Hermits for a while and deciding who's going to be participating in this and when things are going to happen and what the build-up is going to be and that kind of thing. And so far, 13 of the Hermits have made their way onto our server via a space-time rift that appeared near our spawn lake that corresponds to a rift that was in Grian's base on Hermitcraft. And I've spent most of my week effectively just trying to catch up with a bunch of them because I think it's really fun that we have a ton of new people arriving and the collaborative potential of this server just kind of went through the roof. So the episode I published today was me selling Corallis, one of my custom dodos that are, you know, reskinned horses that we have on the server. Uh, I showed Impulse SV bundles in exchange for him leading me to a Deep Slate Emerald Ore, which I finally have now. I traded a Trident to Joe Hills. I helped Cubfan find an End City. And Gemini Tay, who's playing on both servers and seems to be playing it as though she is still the same person on both servers and it's just like oh my friends now know that i larp as a princess on the weekends um i was just kind of talking her talking her through that because obviously the first thing that happened when the hermits came up to me was they mentioned the hermitcraft recap and i go well there goes any concept of role play that i might have had for this because they're immediately taking it meta but Folks who watch my Empire series will know that's not really my bag anyway. I tend to do more of the behind-the-scenes backstory stuff, so I can go meta with my quote-unquote character. I don't really have one. I can talk to them like on their level a little bit more, whereas the other folks on the server, they're not getting super serious with the roleplay, but a few of them are like, what's YouTube when they try and talk about like video stuff? Uh, so I think it's it's kind of fun for there to be a balance of different styles for people who might be interested in watching the Hermits come over but might be put off by the the, the appearance of roleplay on our server. I trust, I trust that people will understand that none of us are taking it that seriously, but it's just like a way to encourage thematic building and stick to this idea where we don't build a ton of resource farms on the server and we just kind of trade individual resources and encourage interaction that way. With the Hermits here, though, that may be all about to change. So without spoiling future plot points and the stuff that's going on in the server right this second, watch this space because there's going to be a lot of very fun stuff in the near future. I like the idea of the, the Empire server kind of pushing back against the whole like build the biggest farm or build the biggest mm -hmm. resources and yeah that kind of stuff because i find and it's something that we are guilty of on the citadel as well is that i find that we do tend to kind of turtle like we don't do a lot of multiplayer stuff considering that we've been on the same multiplayer server for five years now some of that is because we're all very busy adults and i'm the only one that i think does well i shouldn't say think i'm the only one that does content creation full-time 
So um, I have a lot more playtime and a lot more access. And therefore, it ends up being something where it feels like, you know, building in the medieval area would be kind of like infringing on my area, which is not the case. Like I've invited people to come out, but it just I I get the trepidation there. Um, but that's something I really like about empires is that there's a lot more interaction. There's reasons like all the cool stuff that you're doing with like building secret stuff that, I mean, even if it is planned, it's still a surprise. Like you don't, they don't see it before they find like Skull Island, you know, like they might know yeah. it's coming, but they don't know what it looks like. So they can have an authentic experience on camera when they're recording. And the hermits I find have done a lot of that this year as well in terms of just like interacting with each, with each other making stuff up like you know king ren and like just the different kind of stuff that they you know they sort of rp a little bit and it's really just for jokes like it's just to kind of get yeah. some memes going and and have some kind of like um ways to tease one another but because it's the thing i think is so interesting about it and is a good lesson for anybody that's running an smp is for example, the whole King Ren thing, like it is a planned, discussed, like I'm going to RP a king and I'm going to be kind of annoying. Like I'm yeah. going to like put signs on your stuff and call it mine. And everyone knows it's a joke, but there's an opportunity for hermits to like overreact to like, you can't have my builds. I did that. Like, that's my thing. What can I do to quote unquote retaliate? And it just, you know, ends up in a fun sort of stuff it's like when they have those build-offs and ends up being like some monster plant 400 blocks in the sky it's just, <laughs> yeah you know, yeah the kind of stuff that gets crazy but i can see that being hard on something like empires like while there are different themes and everybody has their own kind of role that they're playing loosely on the server the hermits can sometimes be a little bit um shoot from the hip minecraft is kind of anything goes yeah so i'm wondering if if you're if you're if you're concerned about like that kind of thing where like are you going to end up with you know some sort of giant thing in the sky that you re you really didn't want like ha was there a lot of discussion <laughs> bef before all that happened um bits and pieces yeah but we're really letting them have kind of free reign on the assumption that one of their priorities is going to be getting back home uh so okay. we're going to we're going to work on why the rift that led them to our server has now closed behind them and how we can reactivate that and part of what i've been doing this week in kind of helping them get set up is acknowledging that if they're going to make an impact on our server within the next little while they're gonna probably want to do something spectacular which means they're probably going to want to get set up very quickly with a lot of resources so I get the sense that if they want to build those big resource farms, they're just going to be so they can do something right here, right now that's going to leave an impact. And that that's the fun stuff because they're capable of doing a lot in a very short period of time. You just have to look at how quickly they put together their charity event and then raised nearly half a million dollars for gamers outreach. And then you, you understand the power of that community in general. So with them all being full-time content creators like all of us on empires are i think it's it's really fun to have uh, effectively doubled the server's population and have some of that stuff basically pop up overnight um for, for my stuff though i've started to i've decided to build more with copper because the build style i started with the museum and having copper roofs with bits of prismarine mixed in for highlights and that kind of stuff i've realized i really like that as a style for the roofs of the entire area so i i'm going back down the copper route and i am rebuilding my copper aging setup from empire season one 
along with the improvements I made in the survival guide world. So originally this was called David because of the David Copperfield joke. Um, and this is now David 4.0 <laughs> with a few improvements that I've managed to make along the way. And so, uh, yeah, I get to pick the redstoners brains about what I can improve about it and like ways I can compact some of those circuits and then everybody else I get to kind of blow their minds with oh we've just been placing copper in a 4x4 grid to age it all and now there's a more automatic way to do that so yeah I'm, I'm working on bits and pieces of that I finally cracked how I want to get the counting mechanism to reset that's counting how many stages the copper will age before it returns it on the flying machines so yeah that that part of it is now well underway it's gathering steam and I'm I'm looking forward to showing a few more people around it getting more people to use it Joe Hills has already offered to basically make sure that my instructions for how to use it are idiot proof in case anybody happens to uh, swing by <laughs> and want to use it themselves so yeah I, I get I get to test the stuff that I've been doing on a, a whole new audience of players which is really fun I, that must be one of the things that's a little tricky about having a really complicated farm like that, especially with flying machines, because I know that they can be broken and then to reset them is not just a flip of a switch. Uh, to have a farm like that that's available to be used by other players, but then have clear instructions about like how not to break it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, especially with people on the Hermitcraft that we know are very keen on pressing buttons when they're not supposed to and so forth. So yeah, we will <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, I, I've got a lot of, um, I guess, fail safes in place with this thing, uh, but I don't want to tempt fate, so I won't say any more. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's absolutely, absolutely fair. Well, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. And out, out of curiosity, uh, just because of like the whole getting home thing, the the rift idea seems to be very fantasy based i don't watch everyone on empires is there anyone doing like sci-fi stuff on empires or is it all like roughly fantasy themed like that kind of technology level i think yeah it it tends to skew more fantasy and that's again because as i've always said minecraft's block mm. palette tends to go that way and making anything modern looking is a little bit more expensive and time consuming um, so yeah, a lot of it tends towards fantasy right now. We've considered, some of us have considered doing more of a sci-fi based thing, but with the amount of other people doing fantasy stuff, it's easier to do a group of pirates than it is to do a group of aliens, for example. Like that yeah. was one of one of Joe Graceffa's dilemmas when we were setting up season two was, am I going to go pirate or am I going to go alien? And pirate just seemed to fit better with, you know, Fwip's kind of World of Warcraft goblin vibe and my restoring stuff from the past and Gemini Tay being a princess and everything. Like it, it, it just sort of ma made more sense that way. I would love to do a series of empires where we make it more modern and it's almost like business empires <laughs> or something, but city building on a modern scale, as you know, is very time consuming and often you know you can find yourself feeling architecturally a little bit hobbled in a sense like you, you end up with not a lot of variety that you can add into it or any variety you can do is just like iterations on a theme whereas yeah. with this ancient capital thing my plan with it is that a bunch of civilizations have come together and formed a like a nation state kind of thing that's got bits and pieces of everything so I can mix in different build styles and, you know, a temple here, a museum there. They can have completely different build styles, but that's just because it's been cobbled together from the ideas of a whole range of people. Whereas, yeah, the the, the cities, to make them more realistic, is uh, you, you're a little bit more tied down to modern architecture and that kind of stuff. 
you could smash the two together you know like you could take uh elves and dwarves and princesses and stuff like that and just like they all still exist but put it in like the year 3029 castles floating castles with rocket ships underneath them or or you know having the steampunky type technology you know the kind of things that you see in um arcane the netflix series from yes yeah uh, the league of legends league of legends Legends type stuff where they have like a magic and technology are kind of synonymous where you like it's yes it's magic but it's also a laser gun like that kind of thing yeah or something Um, like you know thor guardians of the galaxy marvel kind of stuff as well mm -hmm. does does that where it's like it's Mm -hmm. magic from space therefore kind (laughs) of sci-fi like (laughs) yeah yeah exactly yeah well we we haven't discussed anything about a potential season three yet because we're all just enjoying season two so much right now of course Yeah, yeah like who knows like there's there's infinite potential for what we can do in the future and We'll see what happens. Um, speaking of what's happened this week, though, uh, we also got a Minecraft Java Edition snapshot, so we're going to dive into that in our news. Uh, Minecraft Java Edition snapshot 22W43A was released, including changes like changing the color of the camel's spawn egg, tweaking the camel's walk cycle animation, fence gates no longer providing center support be- beneath them for hanging signs and so forth. Uh, the chat reporting screen now shows when the player being reported rejoins the chat. A few more changes to the creative inventory, which we're going to cover in detail, and adding draft player reports. So the creative inventory changes include changing the icons of creative tabs for better color coding, as well as showing the more iconic visuals. The nature blocks tab has been renamed to natural blocks, in which they have moved dirt types and stones to the top of the natural blocks tab, since players use those more frequently. Climbable plant blocks are now all stored together in the natural blocks tab. They've made sure netherrack was next to nilium, since that tends to make sense. Uh, Generally reordering the plants of the natural blocks tab is also on the list, along with fixing the order of coral blocks to be more consistent. The order of waxed copper blocks is now consistent as well. Reordering quartz so that smooth quartz is a separate section of blocks. Reordering equipment so golden tools and weapons were in a logical order. Fixing water bottles not populating in the consumables tab. Moving normal rails to be before the special types of rails. Ordering coloured blocks by their gradient. Coloured blocks include things like wool, terracotta, candles, banners and so forth. Moving signs higher up in the functional blocks tab as they got some feedback that those were more frequently used by players. And basalt blocks are now found after nether brick blocks in the building tab next to blackstone. They've made a few additions to different tabs because they are sorting things into multiple categories where you might logically expect to find them. So the redstone blocks tab now includes boats with chests, bells, big drip leaf, white wool next to the skulk sensor so you can see the interaction between the two, string next to the tripwire hook likewise, redstone oars and the chiseled bookshelf block. Milk buckets have been added to consumables. The functional block tab now includes ominous banners, dragon egg, lecterns, the lightning rod, and the note block. Snowballs can be found in crafting because you use them to craft snow blocks. Spawners are now for the first time available from the creative inventory. They're found in the spawn eggs tab. Previously, they had to be accessed using a command. The combat tab now includes TNT and end crystals, and bone meal can be found in the tools and utilities tab. That's it for Creative Inventory. Moving on to draft player reports. Player reports can now be kept temporarily as a draft when connected to a server. When exiting the player reporting screen, you can either discard or keep the report as a draft. The draft will always be kept if the screen is forcefully closed by, for example, a player dying in the middle of writing a report. Draft reports are kept until the player leaves the current server or world, and when leaving, the player will be prompted to either discard or finish and send the report. 
There are a lot of bug fixes in this snapshot, most of them relating to the creative inventory and 1.20 features, but there are a few other notable fixes coming through for things like shields. Shield damage direction was apparently incorrect for a while, that's an older bug that's now been fixed, along with explosions from end crystals, exploding beds, ghast fireballs, and respawn anchors previously being unblockable by shields, they are now blockable as of this fix. We also saw splash water bottles not extinguishing mobs and players previously, they should now do that, along with, from the 1.20 snapshot, something that I brought up, acacia and birch hanging signs being unable to be crafted. Those should now be craftable as of this snapshot. Once again, a lot of other bugs related to 1.20, creative inventory changes, and various other aspects of gameplay. A full list is available at the Minecraft.net changelog linked in our show notes. As we mentioned last week, the Spooky Fall event launched on October 26th in Minecraft Dungeons. That will be live through November 9th, so you can go and play the different challenges, collect ghostly gear and a phantom pet. Uh, we'll have links to the Minecraft.net article as well as the Spooky Fall event YouTube trailer in our show notes. Probably the first time that phantoms are a desirable thing <laughs> in the game, but uh, <laughs> except for maybe the 2017 mob vote. Looking at you, people who voted for the phantom. Um, so I didn't really dive into the snapshot this week. Uh, I watched a couple of videos about it, but it seemed like rather than introducing new features, this was much more about tweaking the stuff that we already had and a couple of changes to the creative inventory. I've been thinking I probably need to get into the snapshot just to start using creative mode and get a feel for the newly ordered tabs and my workflow with them because this is one of those things that could change in a 119.3 update. This is something that they're not necessarily holding back as a thematic thing for the next major update. So it's possible that the creative inventory is going to all change around by the time of the next dot release. And I think I need to figure out where a lot of the stuff that I use regularly is. But from what I've seen, the changes look pretty good. I don't know how much you build in creative, Joel. How, what are your thoughts on it so far? Given the amount of work that I do on stream live and survival and working through that process is kind of part of my mo you know on on twitch i don't go into creative that often if i do it's usually just like to test something out like some redstone thing or the kind of thing that would be really problematic to build in survival without testing it first that kind yeah. of thing uh but i do i do from time to time build in it and as i mentioned last week if and when i do jump into the snapshots rolling forward it's unlikely i'm going to be playing them in survival because i don't i don't like that you know first hour kind of early game survival loop um, just to get to new blocks that you may or may not be able to get because like maybe you need to find iron like that kind of a thing mm -hmm. so uh, i can see myself absolutely jumping into the creative inventory and creative worlds to mess around with certain things uh, i would probably draw the line at like trying to build things i might try to move into westdale or move into the citadel because i would be wanting to try to play with some of the new blocks and textures and, and things that that we have available uh hanging signs and bamboo and whatnot so um but yeah i, I the one thing that i struck me about the tabs and the reorder of the creative inventory i don't use the tabs that much in their previous iteration because i just rely on the search box to find what i want quickly uh this is how i organize my gear in survival like i have a bunch of shulker boxes they're usually color coded which is the first kind of level of organization brown boxes have wood in them gray boxes have stone in them but when i place them down on the ground they're in a very specific order and it's it's one so I can remember where things are because I've got five gray shulker boxes in a row. We can't label them. So it's a way for me to remember what's what. But it's usually from 
first acquired and most common to a little bit more complicated and crafted. And in the way that they are arranging things like grass and dirt blocks higher up in the inventory in the creative menu because players use them a lot. It's the same thing for me. Like I put my shell grid boxes down and it's cobble, stone, stone brick, and then andesite, and then like brick crafted items like stairs and slabs and walls and things. Yeah. And then down the line farther in probably like a white shulker box is like, you know, diorite. And I might have, I might have, you know, um, granite in another gray one, but it's, it's farther down the line because I very rarely use them. You know, usually what I'm doing in those boxes is dumping the diorite and the granite that I've mined up as I'm yeah. making something, you know, uh, same thing with wood. Now wood's a little bit different because I do kind of go from like light to dark. So I've got like oak and then spruce and then dark oak. And then it switches to, again, the more rare, like, you know, I don't usually have a lot of birch on me, jungle, mangrove. They're all kind of like, I don't use a lot of those, but the ones that I use the most are right up next to the cobblestone, you know, oak, spruce, dark oak. They're all right there. And so it makes a lot of sense the way that they're reorganizing the creative menu in terms of like, these are the blocks that people associate together. We're going to have more items in multiple tabs because they crisscross things like, you know, people that build with certain things that also happen to be redstone blocks, you know, like bookshelves, you know, trapdoors. Those are my principal example is like, I always go to decorative blocks when I think about trapdoors, but then they're in redstone previously because they interact with redstone like they 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 yeah. open and close based on a redstone signal so that's that's one of the things that's always tripped me up about navigating creative yeah i said bookshelves i mean the new chiseled bookshelves because of the um the comparator interaction that they currently have mm -hmm. uh you know i boats another thing that you know redstone can interact with now um which i think is is interesting uh so yeah there's all kinds of of stuff that uh i really feel makes a lot of sense i'm wondering uh and this is pure speculation with all of the changes that we're seeing to the creative inventory and the ui do we think that this could be like the tip of the spear for potential ui changes in survival potentially i mean it's mostly just a reordering right now of stuff we already have rather than additions but I do like the emphasis on making things more user-friendly that's obviously a good mindset for them to be in for other inventory changes or ui changes in future so i'm i'm not going to rule it out <laughs> it's so it well, so i'm just i'm thinking about things like even just the recipe book you know like forget sweeping inventory changes but like ui changes like if the recipe book in survival worked more like the tab system i know it has some but like if it really made more sense or if it then changes and follows suit in the same way that the creative inventory is changing right yeah that makes sense to make it more more uh what's the word i'm looking for not homogenized but like cohesive accessible and approachable yeah, yeah like i, I yeah. think that's that's a good thought and while it's it's got tabs in the recipe book like the creative inventory does they're not necessarily grouping things the same way anymore and right i find one of my frustrations with the recipe book is when i'm crafting something and i'm you know clicking on the icon for it instead of just looking up the recipe or just kind of crafting the recipe manually and then I run out of a certain type of material and then suddenly the position of that thing changes and it's on a completely different page because suddenly I have a different set of materials in my inventory and it expands to, you know, include some of the other stuff or it reduces the amount of icons that are on screen and so suddenly the, the thing that I'm trying to craft moves. That's frustrating and I, I like the idea of it all being 
grouped together in logical order like that. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the new camel walk cycle? It's sort of fine. Like, I, I didn't really... It didn't bother me that much that they walked differently before. I know that's... It, it's supposed to be more mimicking the natural world now, but I, yeah, I, I didn't really mind them walking the way they did previously. I think it's a good thing that they've changed it if that's the kind of thing that they care about in terms of accuracy and obviously people who interact with camels on a more regular basis are going to connect to it more if it feels more like a natural camel. So I think it's a good thing, but I, d I didn't have a huge problem with it before. Most of the, my time spent riding on them was spent, you know, it just being me. So I wasn't really seeing how the camel walked. I was more interested in sitting on top of it and riding it and you can't really see the legs move anyway. <laughs> So when I first saw it, I was like, well, I understand why they changed it, because if that's accurate to how camels walk in real life, then that it would make sense that they want to have that kind of authentic experience. And it's a simple change to implement. Um, I still have the same issue with camels that I did before, which is I think they look camely and derpy in the fact that they don't have knees. Uh, but one of the things that I noticed, and this is where I want to just asterisks this by saying like i don't really see myself by inter you know interacting with camels that much in the game so like i, I don't want to get on my high horse or my high camel but mm -hmm. as someone that used to work in animation i can't unsee this and basically the difference between something like a horse and something like a camel is that they move their right and left legs in different ways a horse will move the back left and the front right in sequence and then reverse that and it'll be back right and front left camels do front and back right front and back left like they so they they literally move one side of their body at a time and then the other the issue can be very clearly seen in a couple of links i'll include in our show notes where uh, in slice lime's recent video there's a really clear video of what the new minecraft uh camel animation looks like and as they suggest the back right and front right legs move at the same time which is fine but with camels and with any four-legged animals, they very rarely will remove both legs from the ground at the same time yeah. in the exact same motion. So basically what's missing is a little bit of offset between the front leg and the back leg. So it is accurate that camels move their legs uh, right side and then left side or vice versa. But what they don't do is lift both front and rear legs off the ground at the exact same time and place yeah, them down yeah. at the same time. Because then you would get two footsteps, not four footsteps, right? And and what the issue there is that, well, mostly that's difficult to do without knees, of course, um, but but doable. Like you could raise and lower the, the camel geometry of the leg and have it have the front leg impact just before um, the rear or vice versa. I think it's actually the rear leg that hits first. But essentially, at some point in that walk cycle, the front and rear legs kind of come together in like a V shape where the hooves of those legs are very close together under the center of gravity of the camel. And again, it's it's a weird thing that my brain just can't unsee as an animator, but it's it's something that can be fixed. And when they do it, it'll make it feel like less of a problem because already minecraft mobs slide around and treadmill yeah. like it's not like they, they don't actually propel themselves forward with their legs they kind of do like this weird little you know treadmill walk they moonwalk the, a little bit yeah yeah and so the fact that the both legs are moving exactly at the same time does not help 
<laughs> it, do, it doesn't feel like a new addition to Minecraft. It feels like the camels have been around for 10 years, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's that's kind of where I where I see it visually. Oh, I, I'm uh, th so, thinking about it. I wonder if that's almost part of it, though. Like, in order to... like that. If they're not going to immediately update things like sheep and cows in terms of animation style, then it's almost like they've got to downgrade what your idea of a camel is in order for it to not feel like a huge standout from the existing mobs that we've already got. Like, I'm not saying that's a good way to work, but I'm saying that they've almost got to, like... It's it's like those downscaling, de-resing kind of remakes of video games where it's like, we've got to make this look like a PlayStation 1 game because, you know, that's a desirable aesthetic. And if that's the desirable aesthetic for Minecraft and that it fits in with some of the mobs we already have, then making camels worse <laughs> seems like a viable option somehow i don't i don't know yeah and again like i don't i don't want to just like harp on it for too long because like the, again the, for me i'm probably not going to use camels in the game I, I'm, I'm glad they're yeah. there i'm glad people will enjoy them it's just they're not something that i'm really stoked about i'm still i'm still waiting to see if we get a way of camels generating post world generation or if we right. get more than one of them in a desert village and that's just a fluke that i happen to have only run into one camel per desert village so far but yeah I'm, I'm still waiting to see if those mechanics end up being touched at all in the meantime uh how about we move on to chunk mail because we've got a couple of uh, a couple of emails to read before our round table discussion this week sure if you'd like to email the show you can send a message to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com please keep them short and to the point it increases the likelihood of them being read on the show as well as you know, just having a, a good email, and good idea to talk about. Uh, this first email comes in from Snore Marks, Chiseled Bookshelves, and the Enchantment Table. Hey, Pix and Joel. I was thinking about your discussion about chiseled bookshelves in episode 216, and I have some ideas. I already think it's a great block for storing and sorting enchanted books, but what if interacted with the enchantment table was also a thing? I feel the, like the enchantment table is not used much since villager trading is an easier way to get enchantments, but what if it could be upgraded? Imagine certain functionalities being unlocked after a certain amount of quote unquote power from the chiseled bookshelves was reached from enchanted books in the bookshelves. I think being able to enchant bottles to get bottles of enchanting would be nice and maybe some functionality with the echo shards. I like the idea of being able to draw an enchantment out of an echo shard with 15 fully powered chiseled bookshelves, creating a sound based enchantment for the sword. And at the cost of draining the player's levels when being used by right clicking, this enchantment would create a knock back only sonic boom, either knocking enemies near the player away or acting like a Korok leaf from Breath of the Wild, knocking things away in a line. What do you think? Stormarks found out too late that the warden Sonic Boom was much stronger than his. <laughs> and the Echo Shard theorists are back with this email. Uh, it's been a while, but uh, yeah, happy to welcome you back in. Um, yeah, the, I think this is one of the things that I, f I tested when I hopped into creative after my first play around with the snapshot was do chiseled bookshelves interact with an enchantment table. And I... I wasn't really expecting them to because there's a discrepancy between how many books you use to craft a bookshelf. You know, it's kind of an investment of a certain amount of resources versus the chiseled bookshelf that can have a variable number and thinking, well, if it's got a variable number, it's probably going to be 
difficult for them to balance? Like, does it only start working once you put three books in it, like a regular bookshelf? Or does six bookshelves, uh, six uh, bookshel books in a chiseled bookshelf end up adding up to the equivalent of two bookshelves? So you'd only need, like, seven and a half full chiseled bookshelves around an enchantment table to get the same effect as regular bookshelves. I like the idea of stuff like that. I think the maths becomes too granular at a certain point. And so deciding how much effect it would have based on the capacity of those bookshelves, whether the books in them were enchanted or whether book and quills were going to affect things. I feel like it's adding a lot of variables to something that doesn't need to be that complicated. I love the idea about unlocking new functionality, though. I think that's where this email really shines. I think that's where I like the idea too, is that the functionality of having chiseled bookshelves work with the enchanting table is appealing. I think they'd have to streamline, as you said, the way that bookshelves work from a volume perspective. If they sort out the way that comparators interact with them rather than the last interacted slot, it is strictly a volume issue. Then yeah. I can see the parallel between like regular both bookshelves contain three books when you make them. A enchanted or a, sorry, a chiseled bookshelf uh, has six. So if you put 15 bookshelves full of six books around an enchanting table, that's more power. Yeah. And that would grant you more abilities. And it's probably going to be a later game thing because you need more more books and more enchanted books. If it requires enchanted books, maybe it only requires books because um, regular bookshelves don't require enchanted books to work. And that's where I think your statement of having things be more granular becomes a bit of an issue. I don't know how you communicate that to players in game. Yeah. that That's where I get confused. It's like, well, that's a cool idea, but like, I don't know how players learn that besides watching YouTube. Yeah, um, that, that's one of, one of my other thoughts on this was that thinking of Piero Pito's spoiler-free Let's Play, he still hasn't figured out that there is an interaction between bookshelves and enchanting tables. He's gotten a lot of enchanted books from villager trading, but unless you decorate with bookshelves because of the obvious connection, oh, this is a effectively like a stand that has a book on it, let me put bookshelves around it and build a library or something, and then maybe you notice the particles starting to come out, you just, you don't know. Like, there's nothing in Minecraft that guides you to that conclusion. If an enchanting table maybe appeared in a stronghold, then that would be another way of showing players that because you could place it in a corner where the bookshelves are already arranged that way but then you have the problem of players being able to use that to skip crafting an enchanting table in the first place potentially yeah yeah so i don't know how that comes to be uh one thing i do like about this idea though is the uh need or the removal of needing to work with villagers and trading with villagers to get known enchantments yeah if updated or upgraded enchanting table removed some of or all of the rng aspects of enchants i'd be all for it mm -hmm. i'd rather i'd rather um buff up an enchantment table and and get enchants that way rather than having to go through trading with villagers wrangling with villagers like i just i don't enjoy villager mechanics i just find it just, there's such a pain in the butt to wrangle and i just i never really get around to dealing with it very, very much and and i think that one of the things that I, I don't like the feeling of is like working up in that early game Minecraft to try to get your first enchant and it gives you a garbage enchant, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. yes, you know, you can enchant, you know, garbage tools until you think you've got the right one coming. And then you hope for more than the one thing, you know, you're going to get silk touch, but you're hoping for silk touch and unbreaking or something else. 
And when you don't get it, it's it's a little bit frustrating because it just prolongs your uh, journey to to end game tools. And if there was a way for players to put in the work in and and make these things and and remove that that RNG aspect of it, then I think that that would be appealing to players. Uh, and I don't know, I don't know how that would apply to like different modes, like peaceful mode or hardcore mode or stuff like that. I mean, I villagers still appeal in, appear in peaceful mode. So that's not that big of a deal, but you know, cause it's not something that relies on any kind of mob drops, but I just feel like it would provide options. Like, yes, it does kind of like re it does do something that the game is already doing with villager trades, but it giving players options to play the game in different ways, but achieve the same results, I think is, is a cool way to, to add things. I kind of wonder if adding this sort of functionality to chiseled bookshelves, though effectively renders regular bookshelves obsolete, except as a decoration. I, I think there's there's room for it to be stacking functionality and that chiseled bookshelves unlock an extra level from an enchantment table, but I don't think that we should have a situation in which chiseled bookshelves can double as normal bookshelves, because I think at that stage, regardless of how cheap or expensive they are to use, it it's one of those things where they talk about respecting older features in that they add more functionality to things and they don't try and duplicate the functionality of something for a newer feature. And I think while bookshelves are one of the more pretty textures uh, and I use them for decoration quite frequently, I don't see people liking the fact that their functionality had been superseded by something newer and quote-unquote better right yeah uh let's move on to the second email this one comes in from the grand titan with the subject of a new update theory hey joel and johnny i love the podcast and have been listening for about half a year now i'm an avid listener of the citadel cafe as well i was listening to the unnamed update episode of the spawn chunks and have come up with an idea for adding some color to the bamboo wood type the first is to hydrate the bamboo blocks. Maybe bamboo wood blocks start hydrated and then slowly become less hydrated, similar to how copper changes with oxidization. I also like the idea of tatami mats. Maybe the sniffer can give the player rice seeds that can then be crafted with bowls to get a new food type, and the mats could be a new carpet block. Keep up the good work. The Grand Titan wasted his time trying to roll and cut the tatami mat. So previously I've been asking for a color change in bamboo to better match other brown blocks or other wood types. And I think the idea of a range of bamboo colors from fresh green, as you see it in the world, to a totally dried beige with the current yellow green being somewhere in the middle could be a really interesting way to make the block more versatile. Now, of course, the elephant in the room is that that would add a crazy number of items uh, to the game. And I doubt that that's going to happen. But um, what I liked about this was not just bamboo, but if you applied the aging mechanic that we currently have in the game with copper to either other existing blocks or other new blocks as a way to maybe help that player divide that happens when someone says, it's too blue, no, it's too red, and just no one seems to be happy. If a block has the potential to have some sort of aging mechanic on it, we already have the existence of wax in the game that is, you know, a way to wax copper and keep it from oxidizing to other levels. Then uh, adding blocks in the game that have an aging mechanic could potentially be something that could allow a single block addition to have a broader 
section of uses across the player base, which I think is an interesting idea. I don't know what those blocks are. Like we've talked about rust and iron and stuff like that in the past, but I just, I feel like there could be some, some potential there. And maybe it's not for block states and maybe it's not a block that has slabs and stairs and walls and things like that. Like maybe it's just like, it's, it's just a simple straight up block. But if that block has two or three states that happen over time, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, potentially it works really well. I, I, I like the idea of there being more variants of any building block. Like I, I, I don't have any kind of issue with that. I'm wondering though, have you tried building with bamboo? Like what biome were you in when you started building with it? And have you tried building in a variety of biomes? Because I was mostly playing around in a desert when I started working with bamboo more frequently. So I'm wondering if something of the the aspect of the biome around it and it not fitting in with resources from that biome is part of what's influencing people's opinion of bamboo. Because building with it in a desert it feels more at home in those surroundings as a yellowy block and the green is almost, you know, it, it's there, it's noticeable, but it's almost a desirable aspect because it lends a little bit more of a natural feel to an otherwise very dry looking environment. So I was building with it at first in a jungle because that's where I started and had access to bamboo. And then I did move on to, I did move on to a desert, but the desert, I think I was mostly building with um signs and other other blocks and trying to yeah. match hanging like by the time i get to the desert i was looking at the other new features of, of 120 um but for me it was like even experimenting with things like i had a couple of oak logs and i had a couple of jungle logs with me and trying to figure out which went with it for me it's it's more of a color temperature thing so it's, sure. it's yeah the fact that the green and the bamboo doesn't go with the oak logs or the spruce logs or the dark oak logs or any of those planks because of the green where if it was a warmer texture as it was a dried out then it would potentially go with a lot of warmer colored blocks um now it does go with jungle because jungle's got green flecks in it uh, i did not check it against something like a stripped spruce because stripped spruce again has like little green kind of feelings yeah. to it uh and and i once we got into the desert, I don't like it was only up against it was only up against the the yellow sand, which of course I felt that it was you know, very different from. Um, and but that's the kind of thing where I think it's it's almost there. And and again, the marketing material from Bamboo doesn't do it any favors because it's just this they're the entire build from top to bottom is bamboo. Yeah. And yeah. And I think that it's gonna take, you know, a, a, some players that are more artistic and selective with their one, their locations to your point, And then two, their other blocks that they, they, that they choose. But in the same way that you don't see an awful lot of acacia wood used in people's builds, you know, like it's still there. It's still a good block to use. It's not like it's completely devoid of its uses, but um, I don't see bamboo being the breakthrough decorative block. I think bamboo strength for me is still the technical application. Yeah. It's still like utility kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the main thing that brought it up was just thinking about what I've been doing in building in the Savannah on empires and thinking, this is the grass color that everybody dislikes because it's too yellow and thinking, well, I wonder if bamboo would actually look quite good here. So I think before I really pass judgment on it, I need to start using it in a few different biomes. Um, but yeah, outside of that, the other, th the other idea with, the grand titans email was tatami mats and and rice being a crop and i i would love that as part of 
Mojang's interest in exploring other cultures through Minecraft and, and having rice i think was even a suggestion for the sniffer in one of our previous emails like things like rice and corn um being ancient crops being things that people have harvested in the real world for millennia um i i, I like the idea i i wonder if they'd they probably wouldn't implement that right away is the problem because they've been very clear that the sniffer is providing decorative plants so maybe rice would end up growing somewhere else and the growing conditions for rice would be really interesting as well, since it's typically grown in paddies. Like, how would that interact with the, um, you know, the the growing mechanics, the crop mechanics that we currently have in Minecraft? And how do you, again, communicate that to players? Maybe it's more about where you find the crop naturally than where it grows after that. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious about how that would go. Yeah, finding rice in lush caves would make sense. In terms oh of yeah the, no that's, that's the, a cool the idea. look of it you know like just the look of it like i know it's not realistic but like neither is a lush cave so like just that kind <laughs> of stuff is just you know you could find you know and it just i like the idea of having some other crops in the game too because when you are trying to decorate with farms or any kind of fields it does feel kind of limited as to what what you currently have access to in amongst all of the uh small drip leaf and stuff like that we find rice as well who knows um, let's move on to our roundtable for this week. And I think I'll start off because I feel like my topic kind of leads into yours sure. quite neatly. Um, so I wanted to go over a bit of Halloween history with everybody since it is Halloween. This is, I think, the only time we've actually been able to record on October 31st. Um, and I thought it was a fun thing to go back through Minecraft's relationship with Halloween. Now, we're used to zombies and skeletons and whatnot appearing with jack-o'-lanterns around this time of year, or if you just set your in-game clock if you set your computer clock to the 31st of october you can kind of force that to happen i think but uh the nether was actually added as a halloween update back in 2010 on october 30th java edition alpha 1.2.0 was released on october 30th 2010 uh, so happy 12th birthday to everyone's favorite minecraft dimension by the way uh so the nether got added along with netherrack glowstone soul sand ghasts and zombie pigmen as the primary features obviously a lot more stuff came to the nether as it grew and quartz and nether fortresses and everything were added much later but even back then, the Nether's spatial relationship with the overworld was already there. You could use that 1 to 8 block ratio for fast travel. Nether portals were a very important part of the update. And this was also the update that added carved pumpkins and jack-o'-lanterns. So it was very much a Halloween-themed update. One of the original plans for this update, according to the images that are on the Minecraft wiki, and we'll link to the minecraft wiki article for this update in our show notes so you can follow along here one of the original plans for the update was to have torches burn out after a while requiring players to reignite them with a flint and steel or to use permanent blocks like the jack-o'-lantern or glowstone as a permanent light source and as we know that change was ultimately scrapped but i think it's really interesting to see the game taking more of a survival angle and encouraging players to use the jack-o'-lantern or glowstone blocks since they were new for that update uh, on a non-halloween note alpha 1.2.0 was actually the update that introduced biomes allowing for discrete deserts and tundra biomes to mix in with those early alpha plains environments obviously that would expand a great deal in future updates but before that it was only possible to generate a world that was really just one type of biome and i believe it was rare but still possible to generate one that was a snowy world you still had beaches, you still had 
lakes, rivers, oceans, that kind of thing, but those weren't really thought of as biomes until much later. Alpha 1.2.0 also introduced fishing, including raw and cooked fish, and clocks. <laughs> so not quite the spookiest of additions there, but I think it's really interesting to think that uh, the Nether is now 12 years old as of this Halloween. It's funny, you know, because when I think about the Nether update, like I think about 160, like I think about right? a much yeah. more recent, you know, <laughs> idea. And I remember my initial experience with the nether but like i before we started the citadel my experience in the nether was so little and i i ended up going into like a very enclosed space there was not the wide open spaces that you see now or the ones that i experienced even on the citadel before the nether update actually happened i was just digging and really did not get exposed to a heck of a lot uh and uh what, and I recall thinking like, wow, this like, you know, 100 block long tunnel in the nether is really long. Yeah. <laughs> like my, you know, the, 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 the noob uh, was showing for sure. And, and uh, I, I, it's such an interesting experience, like looking back at Minecraft history for me, because I've only been playing for five years mm -hmm. and and really only barely knew of it before that. So it's not like I was keeping tabs on it or I'd seen a lot of updates or noticed how popular the game was. I had very little knowledge of it uh, from uh, like outside of my initial play uh, back in, in March of 2017. So uh, it's, it's an interesting look back at like the things that they were adding. And I can only imagine like the initial player reaction to things like the nether like ghasts like i can imagine someone would come into the very first experience with a gas and say who thought this was a good idea yeah <laughs> you know? no, the, the the initial post about ghasts was i've invented a new mob it's called the ghast you're gonna hate it <laughs> was basically how it went <laughs> um so a couple of things about my relationship with the nether because having started on the legacy console edition of the game back on xbox 360 the nether on the console editions didn't have that one to eight ratio with the overworld it had a one to three ratio because the overworld could only be 864 blocks long and wide uh so it was an 864 block square so a one to eight ratio would have meant that the nether could only really be a hundred blocks wide before you basically ran out of room for a nether portal to to teleport you and so it was a 1 to 3 ratio instead, and the nether was 288 by 288 blocks. So as well as a bedrock floor and ceiling, it had bedrock walls. And I think when I created my world that I spent the most time in, I spawned in a corner of the map, built my first nether portal there, and spawned really close to one of the bedrock walls. And so I always thought of the nether as just this kind of box and eventually had to reset it a couple of times because I ran out of visible resources like quartz and everything. And so it was only much later when I encountered the potential of the infinite nether that it really started to make sense to me. But the world was so small, I didn't even need to use it for fast travel anyway because I could get from one side of the world to the other with a minecart rail and I got an achievement for that. <laughs> so I didn't really worry too much about the nether for, for some time until you know farming resources and and using the nether for fast travel became more of a concern for me on multiplayer servers 
Minecraft's other significant Halloween update was the Pretty Scary update on October 25th, 2012. So you got a full week before Halloween to play with that one. This was Java Edition 1.4.2, which introduced bats, witches, zombie villagers, wither skeletons, and the wither boss. Mob heads were implemented for the first time, primarily so you could collect wither skeleton skulls. Pumpkin pie was introduced around the same time, along with carrots and potatoes. So that meant this was the first update you could craft a carrot on a stick. So it was the first update in which pig riding was viable. Brewing was already part of the game, but the update also added potions of night vision and invisibility, which makes sense. Carrots are part of the crafting recipe for those, the brewing recipe. And in less spooky news, this was also the update that added things like anvils, item frames, flower pots, cobblestone walls, wooden buttons, and command blocks. So a lot larger in scope. This is the point at which several other developers have started working on the game and there's a lot more going on. Um, but I think, yeah, now it's it's the 10th birthday of witches and the wither and things like that, which is, is really quite, quite strange to look back on the history of those features in Minecraft. Because I think, I don't know about you, I think witches still feel fairly modern. They've got a more complicated model than other mobs from that era you know you consider how basic a sheep looks compared to something like a witch i think i think of witches as being more modern as well but they only got sound effects relatively recently like the the witch giggles and stuff only started getting added around the time i think of the aquatic update so there's there's a, a stretch of my minecraft life where i i didn't think of witches as being something that made sound and you just got splashed with splash potions they were kind of like a jump scare at that stage i remember my first encounter with a witch mining underneath one of my towers on my eternia world and like not really understanding how to deal with a mob that could heal itself and and really attack you lethally at range yeah before you mm -hmm. had any like i still had iron gear you know like it just it was one of those things like well how do how do i even deal with this like this is a roadblock like i guess i can't go that way until that thing is no longer there uh, and, and of course the, the noises it made were interesting and weird and stuff like that. So that was like, you know, 1.11, I guess is when I first yeah. encountered that. Um, I, uh, I forget sometimes that the basic mobs or the things that we would all consider basic mobs, you know, like zombie villagers and, and, um, witches were not always in the game. Like I just, I, I, there's a number of things that were kind of already there in 1.11 when I started playing that really felt like they were like long i mean they were long-standing parts of the game but i didn't feel like they they were additions you know like i felt yeah. like this must have been part of the initial concept yeah you know? and the, the the idea that minecraft has had the growth that it's had from almost like a game concept that was published in a browser into what we know of it today is is quite mind-blowing so i i thought it was just fun whilst we don't really have much of a a spooky content stuff to, to talk about like you and i don't tend to decorate for events like halloween all that frequently and with what we're doing on empires right now it wouldn't necessarily fit all that much i think it was just an interesting uh chance to look at minecraft's history and i want to leave us with the question what do you think could be added in a contemporary halloween update what do you think would enhance the game as it is right now if halloween was still the the focus and the theme ghosts would be fun <laughs> yeah uh-huh and maybe they don't, maybe they're not necessarily uh, hostile mobs, you know, like maybe they could be something more interesting. I mean, like the glare sort of has like that, uh, 
ghost-like appearance you know you've kind of kind of floated around and mm-hmm. that kind of thing and i think you know ghosts could be could be cool no walk cycles to worry about on a ghost either uh, yeah, true yeah shots <laughs> fired shots does, fired. i'm, I'm does half a, kidding does a ghost move with its left leg first or its right leg <laughs> Um, yeah. which, which, yeah. which of the spectral trails that it leaves behind should we render first um, yeah. I, I, I sort of think on the subject of ghostly mobs Minecraft Dungeons has that wraith mob that sort of appears and generates fire underneath where the player is standing so you have to move around I'm fine with those not being in Minecraft. I'm going to go on the record right now and say I don't really want stuff generating even temporary fire where I'm standing because I yeah I I don't know what circumstances they would spawn in, but uh, it's it's a lot to deal with. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know about other things that would be Halloween themed. Like I guess I I think we've talked about having more traditional um what would we call it like classic monsters. Mm-hmm. We've got skeletons, we've got zombies, like Frankenstein's monster, uh, uh, werewolves, like just stuff like that could be kind of fun uh, in terms of additions to the game because they kind of line up with like skeletons and, you know, I've, I've always thought a goblin would be a fun addition to the game. Like, I don't think that would be a stretch. Uh, I'm just trying to think about like other classic kind of Halloween-y things. Uh, what if like, you know, you want to make witches a little bit more interesting and harder to deal with? make them fly give them brooms <laughs> brooms you know? for one night only yeah you know or, or maybe maybe there's two different kinds maybe there's there's witches that are the swamp witches and then maybe there's a different witch location and it's it's the flying witches and you have to worry about those in the mountains or you know in some other situation where you know or, or maybe mangrove swamps like maybe that's how you differentiate witches in swamps and witches in mangrove swamps is that the ones in mangroves fly i don't know um brooms that, could but, be an interesting alternative to elytra uh, I'm wondering if, like, mm, maybe you'd mm-hmm. have to combine a lightra and a broom in a crafting table, but then you end up with something that you can fly by holding it, so that you could still wear your chest plate or something like that. There's, there's, there's yeah. potential in there, and, and and I part of me really likes the idea of a rocket-powered broom at that point because you're still using firework rockets to fly. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be quite fun. You get into Harry Potter land with that, right? A little bit, yeah, a little bit. Um, one of the other things I thought about was the obvious like trick-or-treating kind of thing now is made slightly more accessible in minecraft terms by the addition of the bundle because you know you can imagine just shoving candy into your your bundle if you if you go door-to-door trick-or-treating we've got sugar in the game already as well so i know maybe that we've got cookies and bits and pieces like i don't know if the game necessarily needs more sweets because they typically tend to be like you know, low on saturation and low on hunger filling, so they're not going to be that useful to your average gameplay stuff. But as far as Halloween roleplay goes, a quick texture pack can lead to, you know, you retexture a pork chop as a Mars bar or whatever, and people are going to throw them out of their front door. So I, I like the idea of having something like bundles, but it's like a jack-o'-lantern carry pot kind of thing, like uh, the, the kind of thing that kids would take door-to-door and fill up with candy as they went. Yeah. Yeah. For us, it was always like a pillowcase. Um, uh-huh. Just because that's, I don't know. It just, I think that's the 80s, 90s kids just like wanting more candy. <laughs> Where sure. Started, yeah. Started to get like really ob- obnoxious in terms of how much you actually got home. Yeah. But I mean, um, every, everyone's got pillowcases as well, right? Or like yeah. you know, a big shopping bag or something like that. You know, you've, you've yeah. got that kind of stuff. And and to be fair, pillowcase in a pinch doubles as a ghost costume. So there you, you know, go. As long as you're small enough. Yeah. 
No, that's that's true. It'd be a pretty funny ghost costume on me. It'd be more like a hood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really wouldn't go that well. Um yeah, I I I like the idea of candy. It could be you could be something that could add some sort of augment too, like you maybe eat a piece of candy and you mind faster for 30 seconds or something like that. Like just, mm-hmm. you know, powered by the sugar. Uh, or move around quicker. I think we had a, a coffee discussion way back on the show about like having a speed potion and having coffee giving you like a, a monetary boost in in speed or something in the game. And I think a- having enough candy, you know, it could be like one of those achievements, you know, in, in the game where like you have to have the all the potions effects at once. Uh, having like cert- like eat X amount of candy in X amount of time and it gives you like this, you know, random speed boost that you run around like a chicken with your head cut off for <laughs> 30 seconds. And then yeah. you get the achievement, you know, like overstimulated or like sugar rush or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's fun little stuff. I think you could almost add that with data packs and whatnot now, like make oh, custom, ad- custom advancement for it and just do it with cookies or something like that. It'd be kind of fun. But yeah, I, I, I sort of wonder there's a lot of stuff in the game already that lends itself to the spooky vibe like think about the warden and the deep dark we don't need a halloween update necessarily to introduce stuff like that it's just a part of the game at this stage but it would be interesting if the warden started to behave differently at a different time in the calendar or something like that i'm almost wondering if the contemporary halloween update could even be a good excuse to implement something like the zombie horse which has had its place in the you know commands only realm of minecraft for a while I'm, I'm kind of wondering if maybe there might be an excuse to implement the zombie horse sometime around this time of year and that i guess brings me to my uh, discussion this week which is centered around could holiday events be beneficial gameplay in vanilla minecraft you know what kind of made-up holidays could minecraft have uh, minecraft dungeons has the spooky fall event that we mentioned earlier that's going on right now uh, we don't know much about Minecraft Legends, but that could potentially have some temporary thematic stuff, you know, over different holidays or different times of year, different seasons, uh, as it were. Uh, over Christmas in Minecraft, chests take on the textures of presents, like gift-wrapped presents. Um, some people like it, some people don't. Um, uh, I think that it's probably too complicated to implement this. But for discussion's sake, what if Minecraft had unique seasonal events? In MMOs like World of Warcraft, the game has made up its own seasonal events like Hallow's End, which to no surprise is basically like Halloween, Brewfest, which is just its own thing, um, Feast of Wintervale, which is very similar to Christmas. You got Noble Garden. I believe that's close to Easter, uh, Lunar Festival. Uh, and the thing about seasonal events, especially in a game like Minecraft, is that it could be a fun way to share and educate players about various cultures from around the world by having unique seasonal events in Minecraft that mimic or maybe are inspired by real world uh, events. I mean, Christmas is the obvious elephant in the room, but that could be changed to be just about anything in, in Minecraft. Uh, you've got something like the Chinese Dragon Boat Festival, uh, Diwali, Festival of Lights. Uh, which I believe is a Hindu celebration. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Festival of Lights in Minecraft, like right away, it doesn't have to be any kind of cultural reference, just a Festival of Lights in general at a certain time of year, say midsummer, something like that, uh, could be a really interesting way to add some some unique gameplay into Minecraft. Like, again, I don't know how this gets implemented because of the way that Minecraft has to be updated. So it's it's not... Like in the same way, like in in World of Warcraft, when when um, Wintervale happens, like all of the towns have got Christmas decorations, like it all changes and then it goes back like it changes back. So it's a lot easier to do when you don't have a procedurally generated world 
uh, when you don't have players doing their own things very separately in millions of different cases around the world. Um, so it would be trickier to implement. But uh, in uh, Satisfactory, uh, they do um, Fixmas. And what they do there is they introduce drops. So for a certain length of time in the game, again, it, while it is a, a, it's not a procedurally generated world, but the player constructions are, are generated. Uh, drops will come in from the sky, presents with parachutes on them, and then you collect different items. And there are new recipes in the game that allow you to make different things. So imagine logging into Minecraft between, we'll keep it Halloween themed, between, you know, October 26th and, and 31st. And you can only craft certain Halloween items during that time, after which you can no longer craft them. Uh, I mean, I guess the problem there is that with data packs, then if players really want them all year round, then they would just implement them all year round. Yeah, um, right. That that kind of thing, right? So like it's it's difficult to kind of figure out how you would limit it to um, to do it. And I understand that there are maps and there are realms and like different things with bedrock that kind of do this already you know you have that with big movie events like there's the star wars downloads there's the jurassic park theme downloads that you can get on the marketplace and if people wanted to have an educational experience then they could download maybe like a dragon boat festival you know from the marketplace as well so i i get that there's already other avenues but i i like the idea of something that changes in minecraft you know, a, a certain number of times that don't just change a texture, like just don't just change the villagers so that they have Halloween costumes on, although that's funny. Um, change it so that, you know, your trades are different or whatever, and have that be something that, you know, is only available for that time period that might, you know, say, oh, well, I really want to get these things. Maybe it's only cosmetic stuff. Like maybe if you complete an achievement during a Halloween fest in Minecraft, then you get a new cape, right? And the only way to do that is to complete that achievement. And if that achievement is then not available throughout the rest of the year, because that was that was similar in World of Warcraft, like there were Winter Veil quests. And if you did not complete them, you had to wait until next year to do them again. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of a similar approach that happens in Destiny. And um yeah, they, right. they have a, f yes. a, f a few things like that where there's like limited time items. And it's difficult to think about how they would be implemented in Minecraft. But I love the idea because of the emphasis they placed at Minecraft Live on representation and making sure that everyone feels yeah. welcome in Minecraft. Like, I love the idea of incorporating different cultural festivals, considering that we have like a Halloween Easter egg and a Christmas Easter egg and being able to incorporate other interesting stuff like yeah diwali or holy or something like that would be really interesting um i think a lot of that th there's a lot of things in minecraft already that are kind of broadly used in a lot of different cultural festivals that are sort of religiously agnostic like you think about stuff like fireworks for example like you're going to find yeah. a lot of people celebrating with fireworks regardless of the event you know you have chinese new year you have you know november 5th here in the uk you have like a variety of other things where fireworks tend to be used there's items like that that i think can be present in minecraft but i don't know if seasonally is the right way to roll them out because you always end up with people not being happy with cosmetic changes like the the one time for an april fool's joke they i think this was back in 114 when they were working on the new resource pack uh the default 
textures were all changing and they had one day where everything just looked like garbage like it was all kind of intentionally bad 8-bit textures and to a lot of minecraft players that was like one of the only days they could get on it felt really disruptive uh, for folks who were recording stuff on that day you know us content creator crowd we weren't too happy with that and so seasonal events that change cosmetic things like even if you wanted to have like an autumnal event where a bunch of the leaves would change different colors and maybe you could make that a resource pack maybe not but if it's an optional toggle you kind of end up with the well why don't we just have a resource pack that does that all the time mm. <laughs> right like it, it, it starts to if you make too many things like that mandatory then it starts to interfere with what people enjoy about playing the game on a rolling basis but if you make that thing optional then you think well why isn't this just an optional part of the game already anyway so it's, it's a difficult balance to strike but like i said i do like the idea i like the idea of using it as a learning experience which i think is really where the the map making side of things comes in and why minecraft bedrock edition is better at rolling these things out than java edition is because those maps can be advertised to a certain extent in game they're a lot more accessible just by clicking a couple of times in the marketplace tab than they are from you know having to download a java world and load it into your minecraft saves folder it's not that much different but even then bedrock being the version that's on so many different platforms it's on mobile and console and so forth it's easy for them to just put up a map that's like here is the history of this you know cultural festival and and how we can celebrate it and like you're learning through elements like that a lot more easily than you learn in in java so i think those kind of things like holiday events they make the most sense as maps ultimately and i think that's why mojang has the approach that they have at the moment is because it makes it optional for the players who don't want it but it allows people to celebrate it in a much more thematic environment like in the world of warcraft events you're talking about where a set like a fixed area gets curated for a specific yeah. event like that's that's the thing that minecraft is missing because of the procedural generation aspect is there being some sort of hub that you know is going to be different when you come back to it on a specific day messing with players own creations and tampering with that kind of stuff is likely to draw a little bit more ire than it is you know wonder and and interest and i guess that could be something that that minecraft creators could also jump on is like if you wanted to make a halloween texture pack and like and have it be like re like really over the top where people are probably not going to want to implement it on their forever world but they're totally cool with like opening up you know a, a a new world with maybe a couple of data packs and this and this texture pack and and being able to build like something really spooky you know and have yeah all the mod like have everything in minecraft changed to be a specific theme vice versa you know like you do the same thing with christmas or you know a, a different cultural holiday whatever it happens to be and that that could be that could be really fun as a secondary thing not from mojang but from like a you know a creator standpoint it's like hey i'm gonna stretch my creative legs and i'm gonna make you know a halloween texture pack where you know everybody's in a costume you know villagers are all dressed differently and you know the bundles are now trick-or-treat bags like that kind of stuff could be could be very very fun but not something that i would expect from from mojang the other option of course is to create something that feels unique to minecraft itself like i mean like the world of warcraft thing but not even based in anything from 
real yes. life just like yeah. it's its own thing entirely and a lot of ideas like that could come from the community but it's not something that i'd like them to put to a community vote like the mob vote or something because no. this community has like a history of trolling we can't be we can't be trusted with the big decisions like that but i kind of like the idea almost if it came up organically from something that had happened within the community and we ended up with like herobrine day or something like that just to pull an example out of the air it's not something i actually want necessarily but as an example of a cultural phenomenon that has arisen from within the minecraft community itself i feel like that's a neat way of celebrating the minecraft community without tying it to any specific cultural or religious practice but allowing people to still see it as a form of expression that unites all of us like i I kind of like that more as an idea myself Mm mm-hmm But I think that is where we're going to wrap up this cultural and religious practice that we call listening to this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat, and you can participate in the live show recording that happens every week, along with monthly Minecraft audio hangouts and the quarterly hangouts where we discuss the inside baseball of the podcast we're currently at 341 patrons which is holding steady from last week thank you so much to everybody for sticking around and special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz thank you for your support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spun Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and tell them about The Spun Chunks and where they can listen to it. They can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Leave a rating or review on your favorite platform. Email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. And the RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixarifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in Season 2 of both the Minecraft Survival Guide and Empire's SMP. You're going to be seeing a lot more of the latter now that we've got the hermits in our backyard, so consider the Minecraft Survival Guide on a kind of temporary hiatus for the moment. I stream three days a week on Twitch, where you'll see me doing behind-the-scenes work for Empires. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which just got a whole lot more complicated, but you can still find it through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixarifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I am up to online can be found at joelduggan.com. You can check my other podcast out at thecitadelcafe.com. This past week, we talked uh, with Alistair about Star Trek news, the peripheral, and the new Quantum Leap show that's on TV. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream at least three days a week, Legos on Friday, Minecraft on weekends, and I usually fit in some satisfactory during the week. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and that's pretty scary. Happy Halloween!